We are on to the Road to the Cross series. I mean, this is a, a very challenging series because Jesus is on his death march to the cross. And as we unfold the pages of John chapter 12, you're going to find out there's more dying that's taking place for Jesus. Today, he basically closes out his public teaching ministry. You're going to see in the scriptures how he hides away and gets away. And the last time you see him publicly is when he's on trial. Okay, he gets arrested and gets put on trial. This is a close. He, you're also going to see dying of Jesus when the Jews outrightly reject him. He gives them one last appeal, please, please, and they, they reject him again. There's a lot of dying into our, for our Lord before he enters that final death at the cross. And so we're going to be at a John chapter 12, 27 to 41 today. And last week we read about how and preached on how the Greeks, the Gentile world, came looking for him. Now today the focus goes back to the Jews. And perhaps it's at the temple site. I think it's just a continuation from the Jews talking to him. Now, now he turns his focus to the Jews. So let's rise. We'll be at a John chapter 12, verse 27 through 41. Okay, and this is God's word. This probably is the most holiest time right now as we read his word. This is the time you know God is literally speaking to you. So John 12, uh, 27 to 41. Jesus speaks. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. He prays now for a brief prayer. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of the people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Talking about Satan. Verse 32. And, if I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so, the dark, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. He goes away. Now John gives a commentary from 37 to 41. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. Finishing up. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray you will be preached today, Lord Jesus. And we will have a clear idea, a little bit clear sliver of who you are. And we'll gain greater confidence in you through the preaching of your word. We will worship you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. 
The main idea of today will be one of the most important attributes of Christ that we talk about. This is the Mount Everest doctrines of the Bible. This is absolutely core reason why God is God and we are not. All other doctrines have to come into alignment to what we're going to preach today. This one truth of who God is. Why we could trust in God. This absolutely sets our worldview. And what we're talking about is why the people could not believe. It doesn't say they would not believe. They could not believe. Unable, incapable of believing. Jesus said, judgment is upon this world in verse 31. Jesus is judging the world. He's judging the unbelieving Jews. And today we're talking about the working of God's sovereignty. This is a massive, massive doctrine. This is, I wrestled on, over this all week long and trying to understand it as best I can. Trying to make it clear as possible in my mind, in my heart, so I could hopefully make it a little bit clearer for the, for the church family. Disclaimer, we're not going to have a 100% idea on this. I mean, since God is God, there's some things that we don't quite understand. But hopefully, we could be a lot clearer today. And um, God absolutely controls all events. He he's, he's controls every event in history, from, the, from world history to our own private and, private and personal history. God is the one who's in control. Okay, that's the big idea. God's sovereignty means this. If I were to teach this to my children at home, God is in absolute control of everything. <laughs> that's it. He's in control. And how does this fit into this, uh, this narrative here? In John 12, I think uh, this has jumped out to me. Point number one, God gave the Jews every reason to believe. God graciously gave the Jews every reason to believe. The first reason to believe, it's all, and I believe uh, this section from 27 to roughly 37, John gives us a survey of what the Jews were exposed to. They even got to hear the Father's verse, verse uh, verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. They heard the Father's voice. And what was their rationale? How did they understand that? Oh, it must have thundered or must have been a voice of an angel. They didn't get it. But they had the privilege and grace of hearing the Father's voice. How many of us have heard God's audible voice? Well, all these Jews were able to hear it all at one time. Even to the point that I, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Right? Sometimes did I really, if I'm alone, did I really hear that? But for uh, however many people were there at the temple site, they said, did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. It must have thundered. It must have been an angel. That, that was their explanation. Number two, not only did they hear the Father's voice, as God gave them every reason to believe in Christ, verse 34 says, the crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law. They've had the Old Testament. They were experts of the Old Testament. The law is a summation of the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament. They knew that the Messiah would come. And their response in, at the end of 34, almost I hear a hint of disdain. Maybe that's just my mind only, but in some ways I, I, could, own, I could imagine them saying, who is this son of man? You say you're the son of man? What kind of son of man are you? What kind of Christ are you? You're going to die? Right? It, it just didn't jive with their mentality. They thought they're going to have a ruling king. All of a sudden, Jesus said, I have to die on the cross. What kind of Messiah is that? Disdain. Not only did they hear the Father's voice and they had the Old Testament, Jesus actually taught them personally. Verse 35, Jesus said, I am the light. 
come to me. And he even invites him. He goes, hey, by the way, believe in me. Verse 3 says, why you have the light? Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. They were sons of darkness. They didn't believe. They didn't take up that invitation. Fourthly, verse 37, they even had miracles. Verse 37 says, but though he had performed so many signs or miracles before them, yet they were not believing in him. What miracles are we talking about? Just at the temple site alone or near the temple site, they, he, Jesus healed a crippled man who, who's been laying on a mat for 38 years. Remember? Get up and uh, pick up your mat. He did. Whoa. Not only that, he healed the man born blind. Like a man literally could not see, and all of a sudden he could see. He's the one that says, though I was blind, now I see. That's his testimony. And then most recently, just two and a half miles east of Jerusalem in, La in Bethany, Lazarus was raised from the dead. I mean, they were, they were allowed to witness these incredible miracles. But what happened? They rejected Christ. And you may ask yourself, how could they reject him, right? I mean, I mean you may be sitting here right now and, and you say, man, if I lived in those times of Christ and I saw those things, I heard it, I for sure would be a stronger believer or I would be a believer if you're not a believer right now yet. I would believe if I saw those things. Well, don't give yourself too much credit because even the Jews did not believe. The Bible says they could not believe. Why? We're talking about God's sovereignty here today, brothers and sisters, friends. We're talking about God's sovereignty. Verse 38 says this. It points to prophecy. I believe Isaiah wrote this 700 B.C., 700 years before Christ walked the earth. And this is a quote. This is out of Isaiah 53.1. Lord, who has believed our, our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Isaiah is, is that, the book of Isaiah is written before Christ even walked the earth. But Isaiah, some scholars would consider the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Isaiah. Because Isaiah is so explicitly clear about Christ. I mean, any one of us, read Isaiah 53. I'm not going to go through it today, but read it on you. You'll be like, whoa, this is clearly talking about Jesus. How he's going to suffer, how he's going to get beaten, how he's going to get mocked, how he's going to bear the sins of many people talking about Jesus. But before that, in this incredible passage of Isaiah 53, at verse 1, it says, no one's going to listen. No one's going to believe. Talk about the Israelites in large part. They're not going to believe. And so the Bible is saying they didn't believe because it was meant it to be that way. God meant it for that the Israelites wouldn't believe. Verse 39 says, for this reason they could not believe. The wording is very important. It's not would not, could not, incapable. I can't see because I'm blind. I cannot see this. Not would not, but could not. I see this dripping with God's hand all over. God's fingerprints are all over these passages here. They could not believe. They would not believe. Why not, you may ask. In God's sovereignty, point number two, God had a plan to draw all men to himself. Verse 40 here. This is another uh, quote from Isaiah, this time Isaiah chapter 6, 9 and 10. Verse 40 says, he has blinded their eyes. Who's he? This is God. God has blinded their eyes. Who's their eyes? The Jews. 
He hardened their hearts. Who's he again? That's God. Who's their hearts? The Jewish hearts. Israel, for the most part. Why? So that they will not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. God meant it for the Israelites to reject Christ. Through that rejection, a couple things happened. How does this fulfill God's plan? One, one, Jesus goes to the cross. He needed to go to the cross. And God used sinful men to execute that plan. He allowed that to happen. I heard it said, a friend of mine says, you know, God could hit a target with a crooked stick. Now, he could still get what he wants with a crooked stick. These, we were all crooked sticks, quite frankly, right? We're all, let's not be so judgmental on the Jews, but we're all crooked sticks. These were crooked sticks. God was accomplished his plans. But think about this now. Look at the context. Follow with me here now. Who are, who's the group of people that came to him before this? The Greeks. That's us, the Gentiles. Because once the Jews rejected him in large part, the focus went to now evangelizing the Gentiles, you and me. God had a plan to draw all men to himself. And this passage that's uh, quoted in Isaiah is quoted five times in the New Testament. This is, I don't know if there's any more quoted Old Testament text. God quotes this five times, four times in the Gospels and one time in Acts. And I want to give you a little bit of context on this one. Isaiah chapter 6, you could turn there if you want, but I'm just going to paraphrase. Isaiah chapter 6, 9 and uh, 8, 9, and 10 on is Isaiah's commissioned. That's a big deal for me as a preacher. I, I like looking at these things, you know, and like Isaiah's commissioned. Hey, who will go out and preach for us? The Trinitarian God says, Isaiah says, I will send me. And he goes, great, God says. That's my own words, but he goes, by the way, Isaiah, they're not going to listen to you. By the way, Isaiah, Every time you preach truth, it's going to harden the hearts even more and make them even more blind, even make them more deaf. What? If God told me that about, you know, doing this here at Evergreen, I don't know if I want to take that assignment, you know? I, I, don't, I think I'd rather be more, I need to feel some success there in coaching. And Isaiah, consumed with the glory of God, goes, okay, God, I'll do it. Isaiah's worshiping him, and he goes, okay, I'll do it. Go preach, but I'm gonna, it's gonna, you're not going to see much fruit. And this is a fulfillment of that, basically. God says, this is how it's supposed to be. So when the Israelites, in large part, reject Christ, it's been talked about 700 years earlier. This is what's supposed to happen. Dripping with God's sovereignty here. So my question, and this is where I wrestle with things like this. Perhaps you do, perhaps you don't. I don't know. The thing, these are the type of thoughts that go into my mind as I'm just diving into this type of uh, text here. Since God is sovereign, can the Jews be responsible for the rejection? Like, can God judge them? He said he's going to, but how can he even do that? So point number three, hopefully this sheds some clarity on a very complex questions, God's sovereignty and man's culpability. Culpability means responsibility. How does God keep man responsible if God is the one who's in control anyway? Maybe you guys have thought that. Maybe as you're evangelizing or spreading the gospel, people have asked you that. Like, oh, how about the person, right, in Japan that never hears the gospel? 
How about the person in the jungles? How about the person in, the, in a remote, deserted island? You know, is that sort of a thing, right? How, how, how can God judge them? We should all be thinking, as we're sending out missionaries, we're thinking globally. Maybe that thought crossed your mind. I know those thoughts crossed my mind. So there's two truths, sir. God is sovereign. <laughs> no one clear terms. He is in control. And second thing, but God holds people responsible for their own sinful actions, sinful decisions, rejection of Christ. How can both be true? I mean, God is sovereign, yet man is responsible. God is sovereign, yet we have free will? How does that work? Because remember, Jesus says, believe. He's, like, he's encouraging them. Hey, believe to become sons of light. How does that work? God is in control, yet there's free will. God is sovereign, yet we are not robots. We're different from animals, right? We're made in God's image. We could make choices. We could reason. We're different in that way. And I hope this, this part makes it more clear. And this is, a, just, I'm, I'm humbled by this. And, and I'm going to do my best to teach this as best I can. As I was thinking about this, who came to mind was Pharaoh. Pharaoh. My mind was drawn all the way back to Exodus chapter 4 where Moses is commissioned, another commissioning, all right? And as Moses is commissioned to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery for 400 years under the Egyptian rule, and Pharaoh, who thought he was a god, Moses is told by God, hey, uh, lead my people out of captivity. And by the way, you could turn there if you want, Exodus 4:21. He gives a kind of a similar type of uh, a prediction. God gives a similar type of prediction that he did to Isaiah. Exodus 4, 21. So Moses says, all right, let's do this. After some apprehension, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. Do these signs, these miracles, to say that you are a representative of me. But look what happens. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God makes a prediction and, and, and tells him ahead of time, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Just like the Jews. I would ask you, would you, how would you respond if you're Moses to this, right? Moses confronts and engages Pharaoh and preaches the word to Pharaoh. You need to repent. You are not God. You think you're God, but you're not God. The God of Israel is the true and one and only living God. He confronts them. You need to repent. I don't care how powerful you are. You need to repent. And by the way, to validate what I'm telling you, here's these miracles that Aaron and Moses perform. And what's interesting as I studied this whole narrative, guess what happened? Verse 4, 21 is a prediction of what's going to happen. God tells him that he's in Pharaoh's heart, but for the first five plagues, can you think of what those first five plagues are? <laughs> I'll just say it. Aaron turns a staff into a snake. That's the first one. The Nile River, the, the, the lifeline of Israel, I mean Egypt, is turned into blood, number two. Frogs start infesting Egypt. All kinds of frogs are just all over the place. Disgusting. Insects are swarming this area now. That's the fourth plague where just gnats and bugs and all kinds of crazy stuff. In the fifth one, the cattle die. So very significant miracles take place. And meanwhile, Moses is saying, hey, by the way, these miracles are to prove that God is the God of Israel and you're not. You need to let his people go. 
So it's not like, hmm, I wonder what this means, Pharaoh has to wonder. God, Moses is telling him clearly what this is about. And guess what? In the Bible, if you look at it, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. I think seven times that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It wasn't till the sixth miracle, which is boils all over the body of the Egyptians, that God says, I, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, hear, hear me out now. What, what, what are you trying to say, Pastor Rocky? Just like the Jews, just like the Jews, Pharaoh had every opportunity. He had a front row seat at teaching from Moses. He had a front row seat at the miracles. He had a front row seat saying, Moses saying, this is connected to what I'm talking to you about. The Jews had, they heard the Father's voice. They heard the Old Testament. They had Jesus teaching them, and then they had miracles. Very similar. My question I have to you guys and to me was like, could constant rejection of the truth lead you to judgment? Yes. Yes. Constant rejection of the truth, constant rejection of Christ, you are in a danger of where God will, will, will pour divine judgment on you and he will harden your heart. He will make you more blind to the truth. I mean, you're in a dangerous place here. The application for that truth is this. If you're sitting in church weekly for however many decades, and you're used to the exposition of Scripture, people are faithfully preaching the Word. You understand as gifted and spirit-filled men are teaching you these things. And in your small groups, people are teaching you truth. You have been surrounded with God's people, and you see how, the, how lives are changed. You go, hey, brother, I knew you back in the day. You're completely different. You've seen the power of Christ working in your sister's lives. Like, whoa, you're different. You've seen testimony, Albert Chong and others giving te incredible testimony of what God has done. You've seen testimony and perhaps miracles in people's lives. You've heard the gospel message as clearly as, as can be. Yet you could be like Pharaoh, you could be like the Jews and go like, nah, I don't know. If you're constantly rejecting the truth and you do not embrace Christ as Lord or you're keeping Christ at an arm's distance, you could be at danger of having a hardened heart. So right now, as I'm preaching Christ to you, it may be like the work of Isaiah. It may be hardening your heart even more right now. It could be that. Or you could be sitting in the seat like, keep preaching, brother. Keep going. You're lighting me up. You're pouring gasoline on me for Christ. I'm burning up even hotter right now. Or it could become even colder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder right now. So far gone. That could be happening. It could be a divine judgment. Here, here's a, a hero to many preachers. Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher in England, 1800s. Prince of preachers, I used to call him. But he said this quote. I found this profound quote. He goes, the same sun, S-U-N, the sun, which melts wax, hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. The gospel could have two effects on people who hear it over and over. It's like, yes, gosh, I need you so much, Christ. I love you. 
I need to keep hearing this. I need to keep preaching the gospel to myself constantly. Or, ikimiki, hard as clay. This is a warning passage. This is a divine warning passage. And I, I believe that there is an act of the human will, you know, as Jesus calls him to believe and in, in verse 36. Yet God is in control. He is sovereign. He's sovereign. Human responsibility or evil is there. God judged Pharaoh. God's judging Pharaoh in eternity right now. God judged these Jews who, don't, who, didn't, who rejected Christ. He's judging them in eternity. And he will judge you if, you if you die like Pharaoh or the Jews who rejected him. I mean, at the end of the day, we act as sinners because we have a sinful core if you haven't been cleansed by Christ Jesus. God doesn't force this, but we kind of call upon ourselves this to happen. I mean, let me speak at a different level to my brothers and sisters. So that was kind of evangelistically I was speaking earlier. Now let me speak to you as my brothers and sisters. Let your ears perk up a little bit here. If you are in a state where you're constantly rejecting the spirit of God's prompting in you, where there's some sin in your life, you could become like Pharaoh in, in that area of sin. That sin could harden you. You could be like blind, have a blind spot to that area of your life. I mean, have you had the scripture just burn your eyes like, oh my goodness, this is speaking to me, that sin issue. Or have you had brothers or sisters say, hey, Rocky, um, I see this in your life. You really, it's everything going on. Nah, I'm fine. In your prayer life, you, you feel like your prayer life is hindered for whatever reason. This is it. You have to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. You have to hate your sin so much. You've got to be so sensitive. Like you will attack your sin mercilessly. Where you want to chop it up and never deal with it ever again. No harboring it in the back of your mind. No only in my thought life. No only in my secret life. There's none of that. Because if you do, you will be hardened to God in those areas. So when people do confront you, you may be absolutely believing with full conviction that you don't have an issue there. But everyone else sees it. The Spirit of God sees it. But you're absolutely dull to the Spirit of God now. Your conscience is severed because of that. These are the words that the Bible uses. I don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. There's a tension, though. God knows everything. God is in control over everything. And I just want to leave us with some encouragement, though. What do we do with God's sovereignty? All right, Pastor, you told me that God's in control. You preached it. I see out of the scriptures God is in control. What does this do to my life? How does this affect my life? This is where I want to enter into that. I got four points here. Hopefully they make sense. Evangelistically now, point number one. I don't have those notes behind me, but hopefully I'll speak slow enough. Be faithful to the message of the gospel. When I was in Japan in February, that's why I prayed over our Minamata team as we sent them, have the word of God convict you so that you plainly speak the truth. Don't hold back because part of it is like, uh, maybe I could adjust it a little bit so people could accept it a little bit more. It won't be as offensive. Right? Sin and hell, I don't know, I'm just getting a little over, overboard with that stuff, Rocky. That's the temptation we go, nah, I think I know better than God. Let me just adjust this a little bit. Let me just talk about the love of God only. 
God loves you. He wants you to be with him in heaven. No, <laughs> that's not the gospel. So just simply be faithful to the gospel message. Simply faithful. Tell people about the good, bad news. That's sin, judgment, and hell, eternal hell. Good news. Christ loves you. Christ became a man. Christ took on the punishment of sinners. Christ wants you to be part of his family. Christ welcomes everyone if you would simply believe in him as your Lord and Savior. Good news. Point number two. Pray, intercede like mad for those who you love and those who you don't love. That you don't, that you just, God puts a burden in your hearts for people whether it's Japan or your family members or friends or other co-workers or strangers down the street, your neighbor, pray. Because at the end of the day, you're appealing to God's sovereignty. You say, God, you're in control. I am not. I desire this. I pray that you desire this. And you open their eyes and their heart, eyes of their hearts to see who you are. Right? Prayer, like interceding. You're never more like Christ when you intercede for others. Remember, he's interceding for us, he meaning Jesus, nonstop in heaven right now. Right now, for all the saints. He's praying for you and me right now. <laughs> this is encouraging. Praying that I preach his word faithfully, and uh, I thank him for that. And that's what Isaiah did. In Isaiah 63, you fast forward, you fast forward to Isaiah 63 towards the end. He's praying, going, oh, Lord, how long, oh, Lord? How long, oh, Lord, will they not listen? He's praying now. It's like, all right, I'm, I think I'm preaching it faithfully, but how long, oh, Lord? Please open their eyes. So point one, be faithful to the message. Point two, be, uh, pray, intercede. Point number three, be content in being faithful. Okay. I was in Atlanta this week, and uh, my friend became the head coach there and is visiting, and, and uh, people who knew me goes, hey, Rocky, what do you miss you know, and, and those are some of the things. And Rocky, what are the, some challenges that you have in ministry and in coaching? It's about meeting, knowing challenges and meeting it, right? So it's like, what challenges do you face? And one massive challenge is this. I'm used to results in, in pro football and college football. I'm used to winning or losing. I know how we did. Did we win or did we lose? That keeps me like, all right, we're heading the right track. We're not heading the right track. In ministry, only God knows what's going in your heart. I can't look into your heart and go like, oh, yep, yep, you're loving Christ. <laughs> as much as I would love to. I don't know if I would like that, but I mean, just in general, right? It's like God knows. And I think you know to some degree, but God knows for sure. So I, we won't know the fruitfulness of it until eternity, Pat, until, in, until eternity now. As we stare at each other and sing to the Lord. So... Being faithful, preaching the word, praying, simply doing what God has said and trusting in God for the results. Are you content in that? Just be content in just being faithful. Jesus, you're my Lord. I want to obey you. Isaiah, be faithful. They're not going to listen to you. Okay, Lord, but I want to be faithful. That's success, not the results. And fourthly, and this, this is where my heart is at, fourthly, um, I want to encourage you in God's sovereignty. How does this encourage a brother or sister? Verse 41 says this of John 12. Sorry, we're kind of bouncing around, but John 12, 41. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. 
to give you a quick paraphrase, Isaiah 6 is one of the, like I said, the Mount Everest of Scripture. It is incredible. You need to sit under it. And, and, and as Isaiah got to see God's glory, God sitting on the throne, and it says his glory, Jesus' glory. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory in this vision of heaven. He saw Christ Jesus, who was riding on a donkey, now sitting on the throne. <laughs> and he just said, whatever, I just want to obey you. I trust you. I trust that you have this in order. He was consumed with the glory of Christ. And he said, I just want to obey you, Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen. I care for the people, but I trust you. In that moment, when we see Christ for the first time, it'll all make sense. Right now, it's kind of like, Rocky, you're doing your best to explain it to me, how this kind of works. But in that moment, you'll be like, I get it, Lord. Forgive me for even wondering. It's crystal clear now. You're God, I am not. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I could, there's no way I could be to even understand you. If we could understand God, he would not be God. Amen? I mean, this is just incredible. So the encouragement is this. Isaiah went through some hard times. Perhaps you're going through a hard time right now. Maybe you made it like a business deal that didn't turn out great. Maybe you married someone that's like, man, this is tough. Maybe I went to a college that, man, I, I, this is not exactly what, I, what it looked like on my tour or visit. All right? I get that. Maybe you're going through illness. <laughs> Whatever. But look at Let's look to Christ. I hope and pray that this should be a constant theme on the Lord's Day. We look to Christ. Look at verse 27. We started with verse 27. We're going to end with verse 27. Why? Because this starts with Christ. We're going to end with Christ today. Look at this here, brothers and sisters, friends. Now, this is Jesus talking. My soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. You hear this now. Do you think Jesus understands the sovereignty of God, his own nature? He absolutely does. But even in it, so my brothers, you may intellectually say, I get it, Rocky, God's in control. I believe that with all my heart. But Jesus, even Jesus is in humanity, and his humanity was troubled. I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected by the Father for a moment in time. I know this is part of the Father's plan, but I am troubled. So if you're going through a hard time, you're thinking, man, I should be at peace and, 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 and my illness or my relational issues shouldn't be bothering me. It should bother you. It bothered Christ. But just like Isaiah which makes the worship even more fragrant and more beautiful as, as Mary poured out her perfume all over Jesus. It's an expensive bottle of perfume. If you're going through an expensive time, how you obey Christ and worship him will even be a greater fragrance to the Lord. It's going to smell greater, smell sweeter to the, to, the, to the nostrils of our Lord who's sitting on the throne. And those others around you will sense it and it will give glory 
to the Lord. It'll point people to Christ. It'll draw people to look to Christ. Because when things are going easy, your testimony doesn't mean as much. But when things are raw and hard, brutal, and you're about to walk into an eye of the storm, and you're still praising God, and you're still faithfully preaching the text, it says a lot. In good times, you don't learn as much. You don't, there isn't as many opportunities, but in, in the tough times, all the great leaders of our time have been born out of difficult situations, difficult opportunities. From world history to ultimately our Lord, is two things happen during trials. And I know our church family is going through trials. And as a pastor, I feel it. And I'm praying for a greater love, a more profound love for the sheep. Is that God could teach you and, and refine your character like as James talks about. That, that could happen if you have a humble, soft heart. But I think what happens almost 100% of the time, I think 100% of the time, is that it reveals who you are. The trials will reveal what you actually believe. Right here, Jesus was troubled, but he kept marching onto the road to the cross. He was on his cross march, his death march, and he showed with no doubt that he believed that the Father's glory is what this whole thing's about. And I want to just encourage you, brothers and sisters, going through a hard time, Know that Jesus understands. This shows that Jesus understands your, your troubles because he was troubled. He understands that at an infinite level, like he, he experienced at the ultimate level. So whatever trial, it is significant. That's my point. It is significant, and Jesus understands. Simply worship him in it, just like Isaiah. Just simply obey him. Simply worship him. Let your fragrance go up to the third heavens. You hear me? Let it pass Mount Everest and get up to the third heavens, to the nostril of our Lord, who just, who's praying for us right now. Can you imagine that? What an encouragement that is, back and forth. Can you imagine that cosmic scene right now that's happening? God is sovereign. We are not. But this is a huge encouragement for all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. God, you're good. I, I thank you that you have these challenging texts in there and to grow me, but to grow your church family here at Evergreen SGV. I thank you, Lord. I want to bless the people here. I want to pray a prayer of blessing that the sovereignty of God, this great doctrine, this great truth of who you are, Lord Jesus, would minister to us where we're at right now. I don't know what's going on exactly with every single person. I have some insight into some lies, but Lord, I pray, Lord, that this would minister to the people right now, that you're in control and people could take comfort in these things. Father, I pray you bless this communion time. And I, and I know that this is the most unifying moment of the month for us as we come to communion to, to recognize that we, are, we have accepted and trusted in your death and resurrection on the cross. So Father, our God, I pray, Lord, that we would spend some time in our hearts right now. Right now, I'm going to give you a few moments, brothers and sisters, to examine if there's any sinful way in us that we need to repent before taking the communion. God says that he will judge us if we take communion in an unworthy manner. I don't want this for you guys and for me. Let's make sure we take some time right now, 
and to do business with the Lord. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We pray that this communion time will be an act of worship to you and a very unifying time for your church family here at Evergreen SUV. Thank you that you're in control of all things. In Jesus' name, amen.